Hello, and welcome to episode number 40 of the Everyday Marksman, the podcast where it is all about tactical skills for living a more adventurous life. I am your host, Matt Robertson, former military officer turned tech sector, corporate grunt, mediocre competitive shooter, outdoors enthusiast, aspiring writer, but most importantly, your friend. Our website is everydaymarksman.co, and there you're going to find today's show notes as well as all of our articles, our social links, our subscribe buttons, all that good stuff, but also our awesome community of marksmen just like you. Now, the topic of the day is one that is near and dear to my heart, and that is buying your first AR-15. Now, this, this episode is geared more towards someone who is earlier in their gun buying journey. This is not just about your first AR-15, but maybe even your first rifle. But even if you are a more experienced shooter, go ahead and stick around. Maybe you'll get some ideas of where my mindset's at lately. All right, ready? Well, let's get to it. All right, so let's wind back the clock and why am I giving you this episode today? Well, in truth, this episode is tied to one of the most popular articles I have on the website at The Everyday Marksman, and that is about your first AR-15, the MCC, or the Minimum Capable Carbine. It's something I've referenced on and off in different episodes over, over time. And this article itself is actually one of the very first ones that I ever wrote well before I even had a blog started in 2014. And this goes back to the panic buying season of 2012. And I had a lot of friends coming up to me, friends and family saying, hey, Matt, you're a gun nerd. (laughs) What do I buy? Tell me what to buy. And I wrote up these long tirade articles and Word documents, and I was just emailing them out to people. And then those articles ended up becoming, or those, those documents ended up becoming my your first AR-15 article, as well as my guide to barrels. And granted, I've also been improving on those ever since I wrote them years ago. And they are also the most popular articles on the site. Now, if you are like most first-time buyers, you probably have some kind of notion that you want a rifle for self-defense. Or you have some idea of how cool you want it to look. And I think one of the most important questions you can ask yourself early on is, why do you want an AR-15? This is not some judgmental question about, about why do you want an AR-15? No, 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 no. What I'm asking is, think of the role you want it to fill. Is it self-defense? Is it plinking at the reins? Is it showing off to your friends? Is it competing in competition? This is an important question. Now, a lot of people who are just now getting into shooting, if they just went to the store and bought one off the shelf, and maybe this is you, maybe this is how you got started, If you just bought one off the shelf and you came home and say, I bought an AR-15, now what? Well, you probably come across a lot of message boards. Maybe you browse a lot of photo threads where you see people posting all kinds of cool stuff they've done. And you're like, oh, I want that. Well, don't do what I did. You see, my journey in this whole thing starts back in 2009. That was when I did my first AR. And I followed my own path on this one, which back at that time, everybody at least everybody on the internet would say, it is cheaper to build it yourself than to buy one already made. So buy all the parts over time, slap it together. It's like Legos for grown men, which I feel like there's a lot of grown men these days who really like Legos. That's probably not a fair analogy anymore, but you get what I'm talking about. It's like this accessory thing you could just build over time. 
Well, I learned a lot of lessons out of that, including for your first rifle, don't build it out of parts like that. That's, that's, that's not a great idea for a lot of reasons that, that I'll get into here. All of the lessons that I learned went into building my second rifle, which technically I believe I call the wifle because it was built for my girlfriend, now wife, but it's still really mine. Don't tell her that. Well, she's probably going to hear this anyway, but that was the one I'm actually a bit happier with because it followed all the lessons learned and it was a much more practical rifle. And, and to be honest, I took both of these, I actually took three rifles to a training course one time, a multi-day training course. I took my very first one, which has had a lot of iterations over it over time. That's my, my recce rifle. I took rifle number two, which is really my MCC we're talking about today, the one boat with all the lessons learned. And I took my M16A5, which I talked about a couple episodes ago with Lothane. And you know what? The one that I built at home choked. Now it choked for a lot of reasons, not because it was a bad rifle, uh, but rifle number two, the one that we we'll talk about today and what your first one should look like. That one was a champ. It worked fantastic through the entire course. Rifle number three, M16A5 also worked great, but I only used it for like half a day of that course. Now, before I get deep into this, I need to talk about two principles of how I make decisions. Because if you stick around the everyday marksman long enough, you'll realize I am not someone who advocates buying really cheap gear. I don't, I don't advocate, I mean, I would love to talk about buying all the latest, greatest, most expensive stuff in the world, but that's also not what I do. I'm not aspirational in that way. I also don't have that kind of money. So I don't talk about cheap gear, and there's a reason for that. Because principle number one for me is buy nice or buy twice. And we'll talk more about that as we get into things I recommend, but realize I am about buying something that's good enough that it's going to last and I don't have to replace it when it breaks. I have seen this happen over and over again, especially with very cheap optics where people buy something because, oh, well, it was cheap. I just slapped it on there and then it breaks at the worst possible moment and then they have to buy another one. And, and, and the worst case is that they'll buy another thing of the same thing that broke to have that one break again. Uh, and by the time they buy the third one, you could have bought one good piece of gear that would have lasted the entire time and the life of the rifle. Principle number two is mission drives gear. And this is why I asked, why do you want an AR-15? Mission drives gear is a military saying that you need to you need to equip yourself according to the actual task at hand. And there's a reason that I bring this up is because a lot of people will look at all the kinds of configurations that are out there in the world right now and think, oh, I want that one because that's what the cool guys are using. For instance, the Mark 18. Everybody loves the Mark 18 with its, with its super short 10.5 inch barrel and looks awesome. Well, there's a reason that, that rifle exists. CQBR's close quarter battle. That rifle is intended for use indoors and to be suppressed. It is not that useful. Not that it's not useful, but it is going to lose a lot of ground to something with a longer barrel as soon as you go outside at longer distances. The M4 carbine is another good example here. M4, M4A1. They came about because people had a need of a shorter, lighter rifle, especially for use around in and around vehicles where they didn't have to work in the field very much. It's interesting to me that we eventually settled on the M4 as the general purpose rifle as opposed to the M16 with its full 20-inch barrel because that was actually the original design as an as a infantry combat rifle. Now, all that is besides the point. What I really want to drive home here is that every 
decision that you make that gears your rifle towards a specific purpose, the worse it's going to get at other things. The, the more you specialize it, the worse it gets at everything else. Case in point, the Mark 18, fantastic little carbine when it comes to clearing shoot houses, doing CQB battles, and keeping it really close range inside 10, 20, 50 yards. Not as good as it's going to be for two, 300 yards. It's just not. Not that it can't be done. It's just not as good for it. Also, let's talk about match rifles. Some people say they want a super accurate. I want my first AR to be to be 0.5 MOA, half a minute of angle, so it can shoot a five-inch group at 100 yards. Great goal. Awesome if you're a match shooter. But to do that, your rifle is going to be really heavy, which means you're not going to want to carry it for long periods of time. So we have to make sure we balance things. Everything is a compromise. And my suggestion for almost all new gun owners, you know, if this is your fourth or fifth rifle and you've got different ones for different purposes, you can not worry about what I'm about to say. But if you're new at this, if you're new at this, what you should be focused on is a general purpose rifle that does pretty good at a lot of things. And most people are shocked at just how good the average rifle can be at a lot of things. Now, this speaks to a problem. And I've said this in other episodes. I'm going to say it again now. There is no money to be made in selling you one rifle. Companies that are trying to make up money want you to buy lots of things. They want you to spend money with them. So, of course, they're going to show you all the things that you, air quoting, need in order to be competitive, to not die on the streets, you know, all that stuff. And the reality is you don't need it. Not that you don't want it but you don't need it as long as you start with sufficient quality. So what does that look like? Let's talk about price points. Well, let's talk about price points in a normal market. When we're not talking about panic buying, when people are going to pay $1,200 for a Glock, which I have seen happen lately, but in normal times, you should look at around $1,000. The sweet spot to me for buying an AR-15 of, of good quality, that's going to be reliable, it's going to be accurate enough, it's usually between $900 and $1,200. And there is definitely a point of diminishing return. So if you go past $1,500, you're going to get less and less the more money you spend. Now, this is not me saying that a $500 bargain AR is going to explode in your hands tomorrow at the range. It's not, most likely. What I am saying is that to get to that $500 price point, you don't know what kind of manufacturing shortcuts they took, what kind of quality control they sacrificed, what kind of metals are going into it, certifications. You don't know. You don't know what they've taken out to reach that price point. And the reality is no one's going to sell you a product that is dangerous. Like it's not going to blow up in your hands. Otherwise, they would have lawsuits all over, all, all, all over the place. But if it fails... In the moment that you really need it, mm, that's not a good situation. And that's why you need to know your role. If your role here is to show off to your buddies, go have some fun at the range every once in a while, sure, $500, have fun with it. But if it's something that you need to work at the worst possible moment after it's been used and abused for thousands and thousands of rounds, you know what? Go ahead and submit, get that little extra security. About $1,000 is the price point. Okay. Off that soapbox, buy nice or buy twice, mission drives the gear. Let's talk about how this thing is going to look. Now, I've got a list of features that I kind of consider as the baseline. 
Let's dig into it. So number one, your minimum capable carbine, and I'm, I'm going to admit that I, I, I don't think I coined the phrase minimum capable carbine. I'm going to throw the, the, the credit out there to the late Pat Rogers, who I did a course of his in Montana, and I believe he wrote an article using that phrase, and it just kind of rattles around in my head, so I don't want to think I, I invented this or anything. But I am inventing my concept of how this looks. And how does this look? Well, number one, a 16-inch lightweight mid-length chrome-lined barrel with a fixed front sight base. Hmm. All right. I think most people are on board with a 16-inch barrel. Lightweight? Sure. Why not? Everybody likes lightweight. But the one that throws people off there is the fixed front sight base, you know, the big triangular front sight post. I get a lot of flack for advocating for that. And in reality, I, I actually really like rifles that don't have it. But you know what? Out of my collection, only one rifle doesn't have that. It just works. It will always work. It's extremely durable. It is a good front sight. Next, after the 16-inch lightweight barrel, I advocate for just good quality plastic handguards or, or a basic free float rail. All right. I, I think too many people get hung up around the axle of, of free float this, free float that. Does it make a difference? Yes. Does it make a difference all the time? Probably not. If you're a match shooter who has to be like on, on like a one MOA. Okay. I get it. But most people are not there. All right. We'll come back to that. Next. I say a quality collapsible stock, a quality pistol grip, your choice. I'm not picky on this one. A standard trigger, a standard mil spec, single stage trigger, a quality rear sight. And if you have the money, then the next step you should be doing is your light sights and sling, which I mentioned a couple episodes ago in the Marksman's Triad or the, the Gun Owner's uh, Trinity. Light sights and sling, they, they, they help occupy the capability and the security aspect of being a gun owner. Now, let's walk through why I made the decisions that I did and some of the nuances on there. I do want to point out that... I mentioned earlier that my first AR, the, the common wisdom was that you can, you can buy all the parts yourself, assemble it, and it will be cheaper. And I said that was wrong. So I actually tallied up my very first rifle, which was, which was what I call the recce rifle. And what you don't realize by doing that is the hidden costs. Okay, the hidden costs. Because I gave you a list of components right there that sounds like, hey, I can totally build that myself. But let's talk about the hidden costs. Buying a carbine like that will cost you about $900 to $1,000 with no optics lights, lights, lights or anything like that. Just a straight up carbine. Cool. Got it. When I built my own, which conformed pretty closely to that, minus the, I think I actually did use free float rail, but it was a good quality barrel, the, the stripped upper, stripped lower, all those things. Uh, when I factored in the shipping of all those parts, plus the tools I had to buy to actually do the assembling, and then I actually paid a gunsmith for final assembly because he actually had the know-how to do the final assembly and the torquing and everything, it's, it cost me $2,300, not including the optic, which at the time was a Trijicon TR-24, so factor in another $700 for that. So I spent $3,000 on my first AR. All said and done, I built it over the course of nine months. For $3,000 or $2,300 minus the optic, I could have bought something like a Knight's Armament SR-15 right out of the box and I never would have worried about anything else. So granted, I used some specialty parts, Geisley triggers and, and things like that. But the reality was I spent way more going the DIY route than I would have buying it quality out of the box. 
Okay, off the soapbox. Let's talk about what you need to look for in that barrel, which I said should be a 16-inch lightweight chrome lined with a fixed front sight base. Here's the bottom line. What most people need is something that is good quality and accurate enough. What is accurate enough? Well, the military standard for the M16 was somewhere around four to five minutes of angle, four to five inches at 100 yards. By today's standards, that is terrible. I'm pretty sure most gun owners out there, if they bought a rifle that was shooting four to five MOA out of the box, they would get a refund. So when I say good enough, honestly, we're talking two, two minute of angle or better. Most likely we're talking 1.5 out of the common, out of common barrels these days. Barrels these days are very well made. They are very accurate. So that is accurate enough. <laughs> we're talking 1.5 inches at 100 yards for 1.5 MOA, which would get you, I mean, in, in a perfect situation, we're still talking, you know, a couple feet at a thousand yards, which we're not shooting it anyway. All right. So Good enough is our is our key here. And what I want to look for is the barrel material. Now, there actually is a military spec out there, Mil B11595E, certified steel, uh, and this has a couple different grades, but you're going to see things like 4150 or CMV. There's all kinds of stuff out there. Come by the article, check the, check the show notes. I have it all laid out there, what the specs are. But the point is, there actually is a specification for good quality AR-15 barrel steel. And it does cost more. So that is a common spot where manufacturers will shave money is that they're going to use something that's 4150 steel, but they're not going to get the Mill B certified 4150 steel. Does that make sense? Cool. Now, I did suggest a 20 inch. Sorry, I suggested a 16 inch barrel, but I am more than happy to suggest a 20 inch as well. I, I run both. I really love a 20 inch barrel as well as an 18, but let's stick to 16 or 20 because they're the two really well known worked out lengths. It is a very good barrel length. 20 is underrated these days. I sincerely believe that. I think a lot of people make a bigger deal out of it than they should. It is a good, fantastic shooting barrel length, but I get it. Suggesting 20 is a little, uh, it's a little passe these days. So 16 it is. Now I do advocate for a lightweight barrel because most people are going to be carrying the rifle a lot more than they shoot it. At least in a defensive situation. This is how it applies to infantry, especially. There's a lot more carrying than shooting and carrying heavy weapons sucks. There's no way around that one. Now, what I suggest out of this is that don't worry too much about your accuracy or all, all these things that go into it, because as a new shooter, you're not there yet. Until you have enough skill to really take advantage of what that barrel can do, it doesn't matter whether you bought the nicest quality stainless steel barrel or have a fairly inexpensive, you know, just chrome molly barrel. It doesn't make that big of a difference to someone who doesn't have that kind of skill. The average barrel length of a chrome-lined barrel, let's let's say it's about 20,000 rounds. Most people, most people who buy their first AR-15 who aren't serious about getting into shooting are never going to shoot that barrel out. 20,000 rounds, some, some back of the, back of the, the, the napkin math here, 20,000 divided by 12. We're talking someone who shoots over 1,600 rounds per month per month to burn that out in one year. That's a lot of shooting. 
And you might be thinking, no one ever shoots that much, but you'd be wrong. I've had several professional shooters on this very podcast talk about making pro leagues, being top of the ranked, you're shooting 20,000 rounds in a season. They will go through three or four barrels in a single year. So when I say that until you have the kind of skill with your rifle where you can shoot that rifle up to its capability, the barrel, just worry about getting a quality one. Don't worry about whether it's a half minute of angle or one minute of angle or two minute of angle. Buy it, learn to shoot it as you best, learn to shoot it as best as you possibly can and the rest will work itself out. Now, one question I get all the time. Hey, Matt, what do you think about chrome lining versus nitriding? All right. They're both cool by me. <laughs> they're, they're both good processes. Chrome lining is very well understood. It's been done forever. It is the military specification, and we know that it works. But nitriding, also known as melanite, QPQ, Tenifer, all these other trade names, that it works just as fine. I do think I have some research on this one saying that it does not respond well to very high heat. So if you're planning on just doing full auto mag dumps all the time, which you're probably not, you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> And generally speaking, I do find that nitrated barrels are a little cheaper, but, and this is a big but, I also find they're much harder to find where you have a pinned front sight gas block on there, much less a triangle front sight post. So I had to have that custom done for one of my rifles. Now, twist rate. What about the twist rate? Now, if you don't know what twist rate does, the twist rate is what is going to help stabilize the bullet as it travels down the barrel so it can fly in flight correctly. When the M16 first came out, it had a 1 in 14, then it was a 1 in 12, or somewhere, somewhere thereabouts. And then the M16A2 came out and it increased it to 1 in 7, which means that's going to turn one rotation of the bullet for every 7 inches of barrel. Now, 1 in 7 was picked not because of the upgrade from a 55 grain to a 62 grain, but because of the tracer rounds that, that we also switched to with the M16A2 family. A 1 in 7 twist is still the current specification for the M4, M4A1, and it's a good twist. It's a good all-round twist. It works really well with the heavier bullets, like your 77 grains and on. But I would say look for a 1 in 7 or a 1 in 8. That's a really good range. If you can only find a 1 in 9, you might be okay. That was really common about 10 years ago. A 1 in 9 was, was like the civilian really common twist rate, but most companies have caught on to the one in seven, one in eight. So just look for those. Now let's talk about the handguards. I said plastic or really basic quad rail. If you want to go old school, the old school cheese graters Too many people again, overthink this. The plastic handguards work just fine. They're replaceable. They're comfortable. They're going to do their job. If you if you don't have plastic handguards and you, your rifle came with, with something already free-floated, great. Move on. Don't worry about it. If your rifle came with plastic handguards, use them. Use them. I, I have been using my, I, my one of my rifles, my favorite rifle actually, is what I call the Minuteman, uh, which is a very minimalist-looking rifle with iron sights, has plastic rifle-length handguards on it and a front sight post, and I use that in shooting some of my postal matches and stuff. It works just fine. It's still very accurate. It does its job. Is there a shift? Yes. Is the sh does the shift matter when you're shooting fast? No. We're not talking about uh, CMP competition here. Now, another thing I said in there was 
triggers. I said, use the basic military spec trigger, single stage trigger, not the super fancy two stage Geisley's and, and LaRue MBTs of the world, which don't be wrong. I love those triggers. I use them in all of my rifles except one. But I think a lot of people jump really too quickly to that super expensive trigger before they really learn to shoot the rifle. They think it's something that they just need or they're going to be dead in the streets. When in truth, a really good mil spec trigger does not cost very much. You're talking, you know, 30, 40 bucks. If you get you go to ALG, the ALG Act or the, the BCM PNT are both a little bit higher polished mil spec triggers are both very affordable. They work really well. If you're going to spend the money, if you want to have extra money to spend, I would say put that money elsewhere. Either make sure you invest in the light sights and sling or in practice ammo. Worry about the trigger later. Now, something else I see come up quite a bit is talking about the muzzle device. Do I want a flash hide or do I want a break? Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that if you live in a state like California that bans flash hiders, then disregard this conversation. You know what you have to do. But if you have the choice, stick with a basic flash hider. And I suggest, honestly, the A2 birdcage. It's per- it works perfectly well. It's great at what it does. And it's cheap. A lot of people, including me, took the first opportunity we could get to jump right to the fancy thing. My first, my first rifle hat, my first AR, I went with, uh, back in the day, was a AAC blackout three-prong flash hider. So it had a little bit of old school feel to it, kind of like the original M16A1. Fantastic working flash hider. Had a very annoying ping every time I fired it, like a tuning fork. There's newer designs that don't do that. But the point being, I spent a lot of extra money for that when the A2 did just fine. When I took all my lessons learned and built my second rifle using these lessons learned, what do you think I used? I left the A2 flash rod on there. It worked great. It's still on there, unmodified. Now, if you want to go for a break, realize what your trade-off is on that one. There is a difference between breaks and compensators. I have an article about that I can, can link to. Bottom line is that brakes are meant to reduce recoil. Compensators are meant to more stabilize in three-dimensional space to keep the muzzle still. You're still going to feel some recoil. AR-15s don't really need brakes. <laughs> they don't. They just don't recoil that much. The only real reason to use a brake on an AR-15 is if you're using a suppressor and you want something to be the sacrificial baffle of that first blast. Got it. That's a really common way to go. Compensators, on the other hand, I see the point, especially if you're trying to shoot fast in competition. But for the most part, most people are well served by a classic A2 birdcage flash hider. Now, what about the buffer tube, stock, all that stuff? Look, bottom line is, is fixed stocks work well for me, but I am also of the right size and build. I realize there's a lot of benefit in the adjustability of a good collapsible stock. So here's what I suggest. Basic. Keep it basic, keep it simple, but keep it comfortable. You don't need to go fancy. There's no need to jump to these crazy adjustable like the Luth ARs or the Magpul UBR or any of these ones that that are great stocks. Don't get me wrong. They work really well for what they do, but they are, they are specialized towards a specific task. And the more you specialize, the worse it gets other things. So stick to the basic, the Magpul Mo, the, the BCM stocks, or just something easy. Whichever way you go, I do suggest if you don't 
know what comes in your rifle, make sure it has a mil-spec tube. I don't think this is much of a problem anymore these days, but 10 years ago, there was really two dimensions in the world. There was commercial spec and mil-spec, and commercial spec was a little was a little thicker. Uh, I know people like thickness these days, but this is not, not in this case. All right, It was a little thicker in the walls, uh, and it didn't accept a lot of stuff. There's people that make stuff for it. Mil-spec has gotten pretty much widespread at this point. It works really well. Stick to the standard spring and buffer. Or if you want to go to something like the A5, which is a different a different tube that goes with it, great. I love the A5. Actually, all of my rifles have A5s, but don't think that it's necessary. Now, what else? I, I did mention that if you've got a little extra to spend, do some light sights and slings. So, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about that. Let's talk about lights. Well, at the very basic level, you can get a good quality flashlight, get a flashlight, like a handheld flashlight, and you can mount it to a rifle. There, It works perfectly well. I am a big fan of Alzetta, uh, but Surefire has some great options too. I've used all of them. They work really, really well, and there's some really great mounts out there from Magpul and Impact Weapons Components. They make great stuff. You want to go with weapon lights? There's some great ones out there too. I, I definitely like Arasaka, what they've done, kind of making their versions of the Surefire Scout series. Uh, uh, Insight has some great ones out there. The WML series, uh, Streamlight, TLR series has some good ones. Uh, there's a plenty out there, but the bottom line, remember, buy nice or buy twice. Now, slings. A lot of great slings on the market these days. Personally, I use a VCAS, the Vickers Combat Sling from Blue Force Gear, but I also have good experience with ones from Rifles Only. A carbine sling has a bungee on it. Magpul slings are really good. The Proctor has a good one. Uh, the Pharaoh Concepts. There's a lot of good slings out there, but here's why. There's a lot of good slings out there, but whichever way you go, stick to one that is two point. Again, not something I see very common anymore. It used to be a lot of people like single point slings, and then before then there was three point slings. Stay, stay away from three points. Bottom line, single point slings were really cool guy kind of thing for a while because you could quickly go from one shoulder to the other. The problem was as soon as you let go of the rifle, it smacked you right in the junk really hard. So no single point. And the way we've gotten really adjustable two points these days where I can pull pull a little strap and it loosens the whole thing up and I can just go from one shoulder to the next works great. It's more secure. You can strap it to your back. You can do all kinds of stuff. Go with a good adjustable two point sling. Now, what about sights. I mentioned lights and the sling. What about sights? Well, this is a wide open market right now. The baseline I suggest for everybody, uh, if it's your first rifle and it's general purpose, something like the Aimpoint Pro or Aimpoint Crow, CRO, they're both good options. They're both very affordable compared to where you go on the high end. I know there is stuff cheaper than that. Uh, I also have heard a lot of great things about the newer Vortex AMG or uh, yeah, the new Vortex UH1 uh, Generation 2 just came out. I would love to try one out. I heard a lot of great things about it from, from people I trust. Uh, bottom line, you should spend three to $500. And if you're going to spend less than that, just know what you are trading off. Okay. I feel like I have been on a rant now for for a little bit of, a little bit of time. This is longer than average for me, but I thought it was important to get out there. All right, your first carbine needs to be a general purpose do all. 
because it's going to be accurate enough. If it's 1.5 to 2 MOA, it's going to be reliable. It's going to let you grow along with it. So your skill improves. And by the time you spend enough money mastering that rifle, you will have burned out the components that you need to burn out and you'll know exactly what you should buy next. What kind of barrel do you really want to do? What kind of shooting do you enjoy doing? Do you want a longer barrel, a shorter barrel, stainless steel barrel, heavy barrel? What kind of trigger do you prefer, single stage or two stage? By the time you get to that point and you've practiced enough, you will know exactly what it is that you want. All right, that is going to wrap it up for me on this episode. Thank you for listening. This one was a little bit longer than average for a solo episode. Let me know what you thought. Do you like when I go on these kind of rants and explaining some of my top articles? Or do you like to be a little bit more shorter, digestible, or just shut up, Matt, bring back on the guests? Let me know. Come up, come on by the website, everydaymarksman.co and comment on this article. While you are there, I really would appreciate if you clicked that big red support us button that takes you to our Kofi page, coffee page, where you could buy me a coffee or as I say, buy me a buy me a round or a box of ammo. You can get there at everydaymarksman.co forward slash support as the shortcut. So I'll say that again everydaymarksman.co forward slash support. There you can increment in $5 at the lowest. You can spend more. You can come on a monthly subscription for $5. Um, it all helps me produce unbiased, fair content that you get to enjoy. I really do appreciate your support. On that note, that is all I have got this week. Thank you again for coming by. I love you guys. Until next time, this is Matt, and this is the Everyday Marksman.